Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling. J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, listen, I'm going to get this out of the way early. I'm going to give a forewarning to mm. people in cars. Of course, it'll be beeped. Um, but uh, that was f- brilliant today. Absolutely f- brilliant. Okay? I enjoyed that so much. Now, people think, people were getting mad. Oh, Oh, how smug is J.J. going to be? About this result today. Will I even be able to listen? No. I'm going to get all the kind of smug, smugularity out of the way early. But also, we've just beaten Manchester United 7-0. We've broken records. We've trashed them. When this morning, I would have taken a point. So this isn't being smug. This is being joyful. And if you don't want to be me to be joyful at any point, then this is not the podcast for you. Yeah, I- I, I think I'm one of them for you that you're referring to. Because <laughs> you can feel the hot, steaming breath of Jurgen Klopp down the back of your neck. Oh, I texted you before this game yeah. and said that you're finishing fourth. Before the before the 7-0 had happened yesterday or two days ago, whenever you're listening, Saturday, I said Liverpool are finishing fourth this season. Um, and, I mean, what happened uh, on Sunday only further solidifies that feeling that i have about the direction that this is going for so many so many reasons With the no direction... i think the thing you have to understand is that it's not you're right it's not this is not a matter of smugness no i mean there have been moments over the course of these years where yeah i i would say that that has been part of it but that's not today like you're right no. it's, it's your joy but like but i want I to th- talk about the game it's i know not, it's not just about like oh well how you know what 
what what feelings it gave me very strong ones but like it's not about that it's about uh it's about the game and and everything and it's not all about how can i give manchester united a kicking because i spent seven and this is the weird juxtaposition and the craziness of football seven days ago like there was a guy on reddit uh posted a message i'm worried about how much plaudits jj has given manchester united it concerns me you know, so like it's not like I didn't give. I I I go around in 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 a bitter way, trying to constantly carp and and chip away at Manchester United. I've said Ten Hag's been great. I think they're headed in the right direction. Today was not by my creation, a humiliation for the ages for Manchester United and their supporters. I didn't do that, but I'm here to talk about it. But but that's the thing, though, is. That- it's the last part no you didn't do that but it's the it's the you like i think it's just hard for people to like listen to the joy of others in moments of their own despair i i I get i get that but at least accept that my joy is spread evenly across the seven days the the, you know it wasn't like one of those like i got served toast from a deli the other day Mm -hmm. and one side was buttered just perfectly and the other side had like a a a perfunctory blob. You know, I am even. I, I, I really am. And I, I've worked hard to get to this place. When United did what they did last Sunday, I came on here, recorded late at night and gave them their due. Now I'm here to tell you they were an embarrassment today. Not that anybody needs telling that, but we're going to talk about the game because it was it's super interesting. Can I do one thing though first? I want to give uh, p- people a bit of a sound because I'm going to relax. I'm going to chill into this. I need to relax. I haven't had a chance... I had a soccer game at four o'clock, so I couldn't go drinking this morning to watch the Liverpool game. I couldn't mm. go drinking this morning. Jesus, that's you probably poor a, thing. That's a, a good phrase for a father to be. Uh, but listen, so I'm just going to give you this sound. No. This is the sound of uh, Carlsberg's commemorative LFC cans, each one of them a different jersey from their years of sponsorship starting in 1992-93 season. So they brought these out, and they're everywhere in like the worst season Liverpool have had in a while. Like they really did pick their times. But um, that's what I'm going to be drinking now. And that's the noise you're about to hear. It's good noise. Mm. I don't know if it quite translated the way you were hoping. Didn't get the real snap of the can opening. Didn't I can't hear it. You're pouring it. We but can't the point being, the point, be, the point being that Robbie Fowler has... Uh, given up his Premier League goals record for Liverpool and has been surpassed by Mohamed Salah. That's fitting. Uh, it feel, and, and Salah did it in, what, 60 fewer games, I think, than Fowler? I yes. mean, it's, it, it's the right, he's the right guy to have that, to wear that crown for this I mean, club. The, the, the pelt of goals he's been on has been unbelievable. But his performance today was not like anything he served up this season. His performance today was spectacular to the point that one of the toughest hardest bastards in the league was left flailing on the ground like a, a pathetic vision in the lead up to um whose goal was it i can't even remember which one it was was it cody gakbo's goal yeah i, th- I think it might have been uh lissandro martinez I, I speak of oh just left left he turned him inside out he gave him twisted blood when's the last time we saw that it, it just it was such a weird game because you watch that first half back and it was it was pattern united like very good moments from united united carved out the best chances in that first half 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm rambling here now. Stop me at any point. No, no, but no. Like, keep going. The way the game was 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 working itself through was Liverpool were dominating the ball, but like Liverpool hadn't really made David de Gea go full stretch or or, or pull off any great saves. You know, despite that period of dominance, and there was an unbelievable amount of what it would seem like sliced, whiffed chances in the box. Remember Nunez, and I'm screaming, you know, because I'm surrounded by people at the bar. And they're like, you know, screaming at the TV. You just want someone to get a connection on it. And then United kind of started to tick and grow into the game. How they often do. How they did a couple of weeks ago against Leicester. You know, not starting great. The other team kind of on top. And then clicking into gear. But like the key thing in this game wasn't the seven goals that Liverpool scored. It was. But, but, but it was also the goals United didn't score. The Bruno header that shaves the post. The um the Marcus Rashford chance. Mm-hmm. Like he will want he won't sleep tonight after that one. Because a guy in his form to connect so poorly with that. And that was a that was a good move. It was a great ball by Luke Shaw, who had a who had a flip side, absolutely flip reversed second half. He, he he was tortured. It was it was like Shaw under Ragnick or or Shaw under Ole. It was it was frightening. Um but that chance was right there. And if United have scored had scored those goals. I have no doubt the tension increases in Anfield. Liverpool become more desperate. United get into their compact shape and they, they do the good things. They do the things they've been doing. And they I think they picked Liverpool off. But it didn't happen. And Liverpool were buoyed by their start and Gakpo scores at the absolute right time. The absolute perfect time. And then for the second to be scored immediately upon the, the restart of the, at the beginning of the second half just felt like such a hammer blow to United, who, who like you said, were, were not terrible in the first half. No, no, they weren't. And um, yeah, can we, can we hear the audio of that second goal, um, which was Darwin Nunes' close-range header? Fabinho, snapped back by Casemiro, snapped back by Fabinho, taken on by Nunes, and Fabinho again. Here's Mo Salah. And Elliot. Now that's in front of the cop. And so like the whole place is lifted and, and you're just thinking, all right, what's that? What's happening here? Two nil absolute dream world. The idea that there would be five more goals. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And um, like what Klopp said was interesting to me too, because I definitely do agree with, with it. Um, so he said after the game <laughs> in his kind of typical kind of language, he said, yeah, great performance, super front foot, super lively, super active. And that's what you could say about it because like so many times you looked at Gakbo since he's come to the club and he has got better and you're not, he's not that involved. Mo Salah is running down blind alleys or, or not getting the ball in, in, in the alleys at all. And it just feels stodgy. Uh, you had you had um, the decision before the game to start uh, Harvey Elliott instead of uh, Bacetic. And I was like, oh, no, I, I want to see Bacetic in there. Elliott had a brilliant game. Henderson and Fabinho got back to something approaching the levels that we needed them to. And like the tackles, Andrew, winning tackles, second balls, all the stuff that we said this midfield was old, it was tired, it couldn't do, it got done today. And United got monstered in the centre of the park in that second half. Look at the Salah goal. Like the Salah goal is a succession of Liverpool giving the ball away but winning tackles. And then it breaks off McTominay, 
right into the middle. Excuse me. I, I'm mixing up my goals. That was the Salah goal. It breaks off McTominay, goes into him. But there was a, another goal in the lead up. I think it was the, the Nunes goal that we just played where Fabinho loses it, wins it back. There's bite. There's energy. It's kind of the Liverpool of old. And I don't know where it came from. That's that's where analysis fails me. Yeah, that's one of the weird things about this is that in this in this season for Liverpool that has been, I mean, we'll see how it ends. You, I mean, I've already made clear what my trajectory is for this season for <laughs> Liverpool, but, um, but like in a season that up to this point has been largely disappointing, it's just weird that it's delivered one of their most memorable wins ever against Manchester United yeah. and a and a nine goal battering of Bournemouth like again Bournemouth's not great but to score nine against anyone in the Premier League is is bat s crazy so like it's just it's a weird anomaly to this season for this Liverpool team that they still do have that they still have it in them to to do this every once in a while and like just it's it's interesting to see the graphic that NBC put up during goal zone like Manchester United just don't get beaten 7-0 like it doesn't happen no one does I mean, right, but like, certainly not in the Premier League era. It's never happened. That's the first time. I mean, they, they're usually the ones handing out these kind of shellacking, certainly under Sir Alex Ferguson. You have to go back to 9, December 1931. They played Wolves away. They lost 7-0. The previous December, 1930, Aston Villa at home. Imagine they lost at home to Aston Villa 7-0. Wow. And then 1926. So it's a bad five years for the it's old 7 It's a bit of a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Blackburn Rovers at home. They lost 7-0. So that's United pre-World War II. A very different United um, compared to what was constructed then later by Busby. But it, like, it just doesn't happen. It was so weird. My friend Ryan was with me today after the game and... Uh, we're going to we're walking to my game and he, he every now and again there'd be a silence and he'd just turn and he'd go seven nil like now I think Gary Neville and a couple of other people were trying to push the idea that it was um you know an anomaly, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean seven nil for Manchester United is an anomaly in that it, it certainly in the modern era it doesn't happen an awful lot, but it was also a terrible second half performance. Like yeah. Totally so, horrifying. So uh, we'll talk about some of those things. I, I I do want to add one thing, though, to your it doesn't happen. You're right. 7-0. That doesn't happen. But it should be said in their last eight games at Anfield, mm. uh, United have lost 17 to one in total. Yeah. I mean, it's been. Well, that was catching Liverpool like really in their in their pomp. You know, you didn't expect it this season, I think, is is well, is the thing. And yet, but like I mean, one, this one delivered their worst one of all. So, like five five nil at Old Trafford last year. I didn't think anything could get better than that. Well, hold hold your beer. Um, so I will. Uh, let, let's talk about this from uh, first from. Well, I kind of want to go into the United perspective on this because to me that we'll get to Liverpool one. I know you've kind of already covered a lot of Liverpool one, but mm. but from the United side of this, that that's the one that's more a little more interesting to me, only because. Like a week ago, they're yeah. they're celebrating a trophy. They like they hadn't lost a game in all competitions since that narrow defeat to Arsenal uh, on January twenty second, and before that, they hadn't lost since that three one defeat to Villa on November sixth. Like Barcelona are going to win La Liga. United just only just knocked them out of the Europa League within the last few weeks. So yes. like a seven nil defeat to your to your biggest rival is that enough? 
to make you reconsider everything that you had previously believed about them? That's a general you, not not just directed at you. No, I know. Um, not everything, but it it certainly makes you makes you question things. Uh, Ten Hag said it was it was a reality check, and we have heard Ten Hag say during games the the Leicester one where remember he just ripped them apart for their first half performance mm-hmm. you know where we've thought United have been great look at how good they are aren't they on the way to something and the manager has not agreed at all he strikes me as someone that might in a weird sick way he might almost be pleased that this happened the division the of his because you're right everything you're saying going is going down the tunnel suggested that as sick as he may be um I don't, yeah, I don't, no, he, he did, he did say, these are the things he had to say, Andrew, and, um, like, there's some strong stuff in here, so I, I've kind of broke up his post-match into just a, a few, few of the sound bites, so he said, second half, it was not us, it was not our standard, now, he, he does regularly go to this next one, we didn't stick to the plan, lost our heads, we know how good they are in transition, we didn't track back, really unprofessional. Definitely, it's definitely a strong setback. It's a reality check. So, like, to call your players unprofessional, that's as harsh a criticism as you can as you can carry out. And he wasn't led into that, you know. He was asked about, you know, how bad is this, which I suppose is leading. But at the same point, you know, he didn't have to say unprofessional. That That term is... That's well, I think that that's why look I don't I don't honestly Who's he believe... talking about do you think? Unprofessional. Like is that's it Luke's... I mean I, I would honestly to be able to really answer that question fairly I feel like I'd have to watch the game two or three times to see who are the players that aren't tracking back. Like cuz that that's the comment he made right before the unprofessional comment about not tracking back. I'd be curious to see who who were the ones that weren't doing that. It was probably a bunch of them. Yeah. Um so uh, you know I I, I don't know. And and I I almost feel like it's a little bit unfair to just start spouting well, names off without well, really no. having a good sense of that. Well, I mean, like, again, I'd have to watch the game fully through, too. And it's been a few hours. But uh, Gavin Cooney of the 42, who's like a really good follow on Twitter. Eric Ten Hag talked ahead of this game about improving United's discipline. But there is a way to go. Bruno Fernandes has been a disgrace. Um, And someone twi- repl- re- responded to it. He literally stopped playing in, in the last 15 minutes. Gavin Cooney, the only person he challenged was a linesman, which is true. He is, on his day, one of the best footballers in the Premier League. But he is an absolute, and I've heard this from United supporters as well, he's so irritating sometimes, so petulant. Yes. Like, loses the run of himself. And, like, definitely last 20, 25 minutes of the game was just unbelievable stuff from him. Yeah, so maybe he's one of them. But you know, the only reason that I say, like before, when I said that in a sick way, Ten Hag is happy about this. Obviously, I don't mean that. You're right. Like no one, no one could be happy about this. But I do think that what you bring up there, the comments that he made after the Leicester first half, um, like I, I do think that he, you know, you even said the other day that for however good United were playing, they're not the finished article yet. He knows no. that, and so like I, I do think there's part of him that doesn't that may not hate the idea that this team has been humbled a little bit, that it now gives him the opportunity to coach. Like it gives him the opportunity to call them unprofessional and they can't come back at him for saying that because they all, 
but 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 that kind of game, the game you want that to happen is is the three one away at Aston Villa. That's that's uh-huh. your moment. Not not a seven nil against Liverpool at Anfield. Yeah. Um but the one thing that's interesting to me in this is that you know, in in the laundry list of issues that he had with his team today, um, he did not take any personal accountability. Now, maybe there was more to that that I just didn't hear there. Maybe he did at some point say he has to be better, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I was reading Mark Ogden at ESPN FC who talked about this, and he mentions, um, you know, there's any number of reasons that a game like this happens, but he he specifically mentions uh, Ten Hag's tactics. He says, by starting with Marcus Rashford as a lone striker, Bruno Fernandez wide on the left and Vout Veghorst as a number 10, the United manager let Liverpool off the hook, particularly by allowing Trent Alexander-Arnold's defensive weaknesses to go untested. Fernandez is a natural number 10, and the Portugal international is best when given that role to create chances for those further ahead of him. But he lacks the pace to play out wide, and his presence in that, possession, in that position meant Alexander-Arnold had one of the easiest games of the season. Had Rashford played out wide, it would have forced Alexander-Arnold to deal with somebody running at him and the spaces that he often leaves behind him. Uh, I would agree with Mark Ogden's assessment a thousand percent. Why would right. they do that? Why would they do that? Yeah. I, I mean, I I didn't, I, I suppose, again, not having watched the game back for a second time, didn't really see Feghorst as a 10, but okay, I'll accept what Mark is saying there. But Okay, but if we're looking for reasons as well, Andrew, like, how good did Andy Robertson play? Like Andy Robertson had a tremendous game, and the question would then have to be asked: In like, why was yet again? Well, I suppose he had Jordan Henderson on that side, kind of covering. But like, look how ineffective Anthony was. I mean, purely ineffective. I thought I thought he'd be given given that Liverpool defense lots of problems. He had one shot really, and 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 Allison dealt with it. So there's a couple of areas. Also, we give a lot of credit to Ten Hag for, what do we say, in-game management, I suppose. Um, bringing on Scott McTominay was just pointless. McTominay was a disaster. Absolute disaster. Now, they got bossed for the first time in a long time. Uh, Fred, in particular, on the first goal out of position, but generally struggled Casemiro struggled against uh against Fabinho and, and Henderson that's not a phrase we're going to be saying an awful lot this season so there was a, a general fall off in, in in United's play in midfield but he didn't do anything to remedy that and none of the subs he made he brought on made any difference except Garnacho, who I thought at times maybe looked dangerous running in on the left hand side but apart from that he didn't tweak it to fix it in the way that we've been giving him praise for a long long time but United were in a set in a pattern in the first half of of where I could see, I know how they can win this game. Like, it wasn't wildly different to other games we've seen. It wasn't wildly different to last Sunday, where Newcastle had a, had a, a lot of the ball, huffed and puffed, crosses along the ground in front of the goal, but never really, really troubled United. And then when United took had their opportunities, their openings, they finished. And I do think a key part of this game was that United's luck... Um, Looks not the right word, but their their ability to when they get that chance oh, oh, and it opens up for Rashford, he scores, and then the momentum of the game goes their way. That didn't happen, and once that didn't happen, and Liverpool could find an opening, it swung in a way where United weren't able to cope. Yeah. Um, so now looking at the Liverpool side of it, 
can the reverse be said about what we said about United? Is a, is a 7-0 defeat over your arch rival enough to make you reconsider everything you thought about them? Because um, a week and a half ago, uh, we can say a week ago we were, ce- you know, United were celebrating hoisting a trophy. Think of what we were doing a week and a half ago for Liverpool. Yeah. Just total disgust, allowing five unanswered goals in a Champions League matchup at home against Real Madrid. And yeah. now here we are. I mean, the larger sample size would suggest that this Liverpool uh, midfield and certain parts of the defense still need an overhaul. Um, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use as much as today's game was so enjoyable and crazy and nuts. I'm not gonna say it's an indicator of of larger things in either direction for either I, side. I think so. United, I agree you, with you. Well, no, you believe. I'm going to tell you what you're going to say. You're going to say you still think United are on the, on the right course, on the right way, and you still think that this Liverpool team has a lot left in it. Correct? Well, yes. So my my opinion of Manchester United doesn't... I, it's it's almost embarrassing to say this after a 7-0 loss to your rival, but like my opinion of them doesn't really weirdly change all that much. Like This was horrifying, what happened to them today. They'll never forget it. The next mm. time they play Liverpool, there's going to be a chance if we want eight. Like I feel like that'll be a new rallying cry from Liverpool supporters when they play Manchester United. That was what you could hear echoing around Anfield at the end of this one. And I think they're like, they should continue with that chant when they play United to remind them of this. Um, So like, it's, it's ridiculous to say my opinion of them doesn't really change, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to remove like the emotion of, of this against a a rival, uh, you know, the, the shock value of seeing seven on that scoreboard. It was just a horrible day for them. I think that they're probably a little bit wiped, Carabao Cup final, the the Europa League matchups with Barcelona, midweek FA Cup against West Ham was a tough mm. one. I think that they probably just, you know, they they ran out of steam a little bit. Um, oh, what you're offended? I see you narrowing not, your I'm not eyes. Offend, oh, I'm not I'm offended, so, but I'm not I, giving like, Liverpool enough credit. Like, no, 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 no. I would just say that, like, yeah, I, I like if there was going to be a hangover, it was probably going into the FA Cup game, and they were two 0 down and still came back to win. I I, I don't want to I don't want to give put put out tiredness too much. For, for today, because today was like horrifying. I mean, there's lots of teams are tired right now. Anyway, on the Liverpool side, though, I do feel a little bit differently. Um, only because, yeah, I mean, that is something I've been saying for a lot of the season that I, I'm just not ready to rule them out. Um, I've just seen too much of it over the past few years, and, and I'm going to have to see them truly be done and buried before I believe that they are. But even beyond that, um, think of who's playing well for them right now. Gakpo, Nunez. Yeah. yeah. Like that's that's what makes me think that okay, like there there's more there's more to come from this team. Like it was always going to be hard for them after losing Sadio Mane. It just was. And like mm. Roberto Firmino is not the player he was. Like this was there was always going to be a transitional period for them. Um and Nunez and Gakpo, as talented as they might be, are upside guys. They're not necessarily here and now guys. And so, like, it's for all the frustration, you know, people want to have a laugh at Nunez for his problems. People were kind of frustrated with Gakpo for not coming in right away and contributing, like what we saw from that he did for the Dutch at the World Cup. Um, but like that's normal. It would have been weird for them to, you know, for them to come in right away and be superstar players. So the fact, yeah, it's taken a little bit. But like now you look at, you know, what is it, four in his last four games for Gakpo? Uh, Nunez, a similar statistic. I don't have it in front of me right now. Yeah. Um, but like 
they were both brilliant today. And so like it's it's those kinds of things that make me feel that they're on the right track. Like, yeah, there there are still problems in defense and they're gonna have to fix that. But if they're able to put up goals, you know, it's gonna open games up. Teams will be more susceptible coming back the other way on those ruthless clop counters. So yeah. Yeah, like like I said, I know a couple weeks ago I said I, I thought Tottenham would finish fourth. I obviously I don't believe that anymore. I think Liverpool are the are the team to beat for that number four spot. I genuinely feel that way. I I would go along with what Mo Salah said and what Klopp said in in their post match about well we have to go on and keep keep winning now and keep doing this and keep those levels of performance up. And the question is whether they can do that because we've seen Liverpool raise levels of performance before against Manchester City, notably at Anfield as well. So it's it's about doing it again and again and again. Um, but but I will say the Gakpo finish was so good, like mm-hmm. so good. And it kind of, in a, in a weird way, reminded me of Felipe Coutinho's goal against De Gea um, at Old Trafford in the Europa League um, in 2016. Sorry, 2015-2016 season. So, um, yeah, I, look, I, I want Gakpo to be successful. I want Nunes to be successful. My underlying doubts about the shape and the... Um, what would you say? Virility of the midfield is still there. I, I still have I still have concerns. Yeah, and um, that's valid. Um, last bit on this game for me. Roy Keane said that he would go into hiding after a performance like this in such a big game against such a big rival. Yeah. Um, Easy for Roy because it never. When did it happen to him? Like, like hardly this. ever. Not like this. No. Uh, he had not surprisingly when uh, United went down one nil. I guess some of the players, I didn't see this, but I guess some of the players were kind of laughing a little bit in the tunnel, talking with someone from the Liverpool side or groundskeeper or something like that. Roy Keane had a problem with that. Um, I guess that's understandably so. Had just conceded a goal against a rival. What are you doing? Yucking it up. Um, But in, in, in the aftermath of losing 7 0, something like that suddenly looks all that much worse. But his comment about going into hiding after this, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Like there, I say at this point, my opinion of them doesn't change very much. That's that in itself is subject to change. It will be, it'll be fascinating to see how they respond to this leading up to the international break. They've got Real Betis in the Europa league, then Southampton, then Betis again, and then Fulham. So, you know, it's not a murderer's row. Now Betis is, is fifth in La Liga. They held Real Madrid scoreless, but, uh, but, ne- but they're not, they're probably not going to have Well, they won't have Nabil Fekir has torn his ACL, hasn't he? So he's out. So like they're that's a that's a wounded Betis. That is not murderer's row that they're coming up against. Right. And, and while I'm while I'm on it, you know, you said your opinion of them. What's their opinion of themselves after this? Ah. But like seriously, like is is this something that makes you makes you doubt yourself? Like a shellacking like this. Is this something that 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 does get into your psyche? Or is the is the unity and the warmth and the spirit and the and the glow of Ten Hag's new United is 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 this something they can shake off? Don't know. Yeah, I mean, and what it also does is it probably not that I ever thought they were serious contenders, but like you heard some of the silliness after they won the Carabao Cup of will they go for the quadruple? Um, this uh, this uh, this ends there. Whatever title race anyone thought like, again didn't think that was a real thing, um, but. This this effectively ends that as well. I mean, so there's that still be another course thing for, for a great season. Like oh, yeah, a, a, a super first season under Ten Hag, but today was just so bad that um, there's going to be a little. Like I mean, he's not. I don't think he's going to take them on Retiro, uh, but like 
hiding away wouldn't be wouldn't be a terrible thing for for a couple of days. Unlike some I some some Manchester United supporters, it's amazing how emboldened one can be from behind your phone when you never actually have to say things to anyone. Saw some Manchester United supporters out there like actually clapping back after getting thumped seven nil. Like just saying nothing. What were they just, saying? Uh uh, one of the, one of them was poking me about Real Madrid. I'm like, hmm. be on a boat. Like seriously, just if I was in their position and and something as as bad as that had happened to me, take my lumps, turn my phone off, yeah, log go, off, log off, go for a walk, listen to something relaxing, Brian Eno maybe, or if you're in the mood, something angry, Slayer, Pantera, anything like that. But take your mind off it, breathe some fresh air. Don't start going into Twitter. And giving it the big one when you've conceded seven goals because you just look foolish. I just can't get over the way things change in this sport. Like not not to harp about the five two, but just like it, it just illustrates this point. And and, that and the Real same Madrid is said of United and Manchester United. No, though, as and the well, same like... is said of United winning a, a cup last week. Like yeah. it's just crazy to me how like the 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 highs and lows of this are just like they they can be so close together. Like the proximity of the two, just like there's almost no rhyme or reason week to week. It's, I, I don't know. I just, my, I, I, if I went back and listened to what we were saying after the Liverpool Madrid game, if I listened to what we were saying after United's title and like, it's only a week that's gone by. And here we are doing this podcast now. Like it, it's just, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. My best friend, uh, my best friend back home and my brother-in-law and me, we're all in a, in a thread, right? And uh, Frank Frank put in the thread after the fourth goal. He 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 just put in in the WhatsApp. He said, uh, "Owen, who was the other Man United fa- fan, Owen, did you realize there's a really fascinating documentary on the Mayfly over on TG Cahar that maybe we should watch right now? You know, like just ch- flip the channel. Yeah, and a and a very dear friend of mine who is a big United supporter hasn't texted me today at all, not at all." You have an issue with that? That would be me. I wouldn't say a word to you. I know, but we generally text anyway, regardless of football results. N- haven't heard a beep. Not a Well, yeah, beep. obviously he's not. <laughs> you expect him to text you about something else, coincidentally? He doesn't, I, want to, I, he doesn't want to deal with you today. Can't you uh, understand that? Yeah but, but yeah, but the automatic reaction is that I would, you know, we're not going to talk about the game. I, I, I could You be will at up. some point, but he's not ready. You right. can't understand that? Just, yeah, I don't know. I, I like you want I, it all. You want it all. I really you do. want the win, and you want to be bowed down to by all the United supporters out there. I don't want people to bow down to me. I don't need that. But maybe I do. I, I actually don't. I really don't. I, I that game was that game. They'll they'll do studies on that game in years to come. It was no, not because of oh, it's just like how did this happen? How did this happen? I've been going around um, uh, just laughing maniacally like Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's there's no point saying that the the Schadenfreude isn't good today. It's pretty good, tasty Schadenfreude stew we got going here, Andrew. But what I mean that was that was a great game today. Maybe the maybe the best game of the weekend was yesterday. Did you think when you woke up? on Saturday morning that Arsenal Bournemouth would deliver one of the most dramatic wins in Gunners Premier League history. I did Again, not. 
again, you just don't know like this, the way this sport delivers, you just don't know. It's incredible. Couldn't believe it. Could not believe the way that game played out. Um, and I guess maybe we have to learn now that this Arsenal team is different, you know, for whatever we thought of previous iterations of Arsenal, we were, we always reference back to the Troy Deeney comments about how, you know, when the chips are down for this team, for this club, like that, you know, they're, they're not coming back. They can be gotten to, you can pounce on them when they're down. Cause they're just, that's who they are. Uh, it's those days are over, over. Uh, this was, I believe the fifth, time this season that Arsenal have come back and won a game that they were trailing by at least a goal like that's like whatever you thought of that, those previous Arsenal teams in, in that previous era it is done and that is buried this is a different team with a different DNA I mean yes but I think there would be a, a counter argument that uh what is it the Conte the Conte meme oh one regular week of Barclays is all I want that uh, will never happen. So the meme for Arsenal will be one regular win in this title race is all I want. <laughs> will never happen. Like you look at the Villa game, you look at this game, maybe the Aaron Paul meme is better. You can't get, keep getting away with this. But I mean, you do have to be tough and resilient and win tight games and, and win games at the death and win games late. If you're going to win a title. Absolutely. So maybe, Maybe you're actually right. Um, we, we should not bury this any any further, though. Uh, somebody sent me a clip of Reese Nelson's winner and tagged it as Islington Lungs. <laughs> now, I, I was thinking maybe Finsbury Park Lungs or, or something like that, but um, but let's go with Islington Lungs. And uh, here's that winner and the, the pretty dramatic uh, crowd noises. In goes the corner, cleared only as far as Nelson has to get his shot right. I mean, what a hit that was. Incredible. What a brilliant strike. And I, I, I'd been watching it and Arsenal had been kind of plugging away. Go down the left, get a cross in. Go down the right, get a cross in. And... Bournemouth were dealing with it really well. And you thought, time's running out here. Why doesn't someone get in close and like drill one into the box, make it ping around a bit, cause a bit of something. And he just takes the time, settles the ball, gets it on from his right onto his left. And it's the cleanest volley you're going to see. A a super goal. Was it a volley? I don't think that was really a volley. You didn't think it was a volley? It hopped up, didn't it? Uh, maybe a little. I don't know. Is that is that all it takes to be considered a volley? A ball that kind of bounces that did, a little. Now bit? we're getting in co- contentious waters. I don't think okay, the well, ball. Whatever. I don't know that a ball can hit the ground for me to consider it a volley. Hmm. But he's hit it on the bounce coming down. But whatever. It's it's just a brilliant, brilliant strike. An absolute and so clean. And uh, and that's it. An Arsenal win. And and it saved us loads of gifts. Not gifts, but loads of um stills and pictures of, of, of potential handballs from Arsenal fans who would have been oh. grumbling because there was there was a ton of like little incidents where you thought, oh, maybe that's a handball. Could that be a handball? I mean, one of them, I think, was legitimately a handball. The rest of them, I wouldn't have been bothered with. But um, but it saved us all that, thankfully, because Arsenal won. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, it was it's one of the thrilling games of the season. The, the scenes there, what did Mikel Arteta say? It was... Um, I forget his exact quote, but the most dramatic moment of his career, um, something to that effect, my most emotional moment, I think, 
was what he said. Uh, and it was, I mean, the outpouring, you know, it's just like a lot of shaky camera footage after that went in, just like no clean shots of anything after that ball went into the goal. And uh, I mean, the way they celebrated at full time, which was, I mean, essentially just after the goal. So I, I give yeah. them that it was just amazing. And, um, well, this is all year. This is all kind of years in the making. I mean, if you think back to like the last ten years or so um, of what it is to have been Arsenal during that time, it's been just so frustrating. Um, like it, it's just felt like at no point were things headed in the right direction. It was a lot of stop start. You know, even when they, you know, like they they finished second that year to Leicester, but like no, they they didn't though. No. Like they were never a part of any title race. It was it, it's just so this has been building for Arsenal fans, and I think that this experience it's been so kind of unexpected. This team in their eyes is so likable with these young players, some of whom have come through their own system, uh, like Bukayo Saka. That it's just this is just I don't know. This is fun that they that they are really basking in, and and they and they should. This has been really incredible. Um, and it's as far as title challenges go, it's feeling more and more real every week. I, I, who was it? Paul Merson said, if they win their next three, then this is theirs. They will not relinquish it. If it certainly feels like that, and um, and yeah, there's a buzz around the place. I went to the Emirates in 2010, so uh, see them play a game against Wigan at three o'clock in the afternoon, which is not going to be the most raucous crowd. Wigan won't bring a big uh, wave support and it's daylight. And Van, Van Persie put on a show. He was absolutely brilliant for them. But like that ground, it's big criticism was it's never had the, the aura or the noise that Highbury has. And it's tough for new stadiums. It's a betting in period. It's a, it's a settling in period. And, and that stadium is like this uh, gilded cage for Arsenal for years because they spent so much money to get it built at a time when Arsenal should really have been kicking on, competing for titles. And instead, to service debt in the stadium, to make everything happen, they were selling players. They were, they sell, how many championship teams do you think they sold under Wenger between like 06 and 2013, 2014? Like, just brilliant players. Now, the economics changed and everything. Um, with Man City and with Chelsea, etc. But to see the place like just bouncing, absolutely, you know, rattling with good vibes is it's got to be great for Arsenal supporters right now. It really has to be because it's been miserable, miserable. You think of the last few years under Wenger, Unai Emery, just absolute misery and um. And and this is great for them right now. And I genuinely, and I mean this, Arsenal supporters, I genuinely hope they hang on. And it's not just because they're competing with Man City. I genuinely feel that there's real, hopefully I'm wrong, oppor- danger rather that a team like Arsenal won't win a championship in 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 the in the coming future. Although football, the tectonic plates of football seem like they're moving and changing at the moment. But uh, it'd be great for Arsenal to win one. And I know I'm not asking you to, to co-sign on those feelings because I know that wouldn't be the case. But for me, I, I'd love to see it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, some, just some other things about this. We've talked so much this season about Saka, Odegaard, uh, Gabriel Jesus at the start of the season, then when he got hurt in Ketia and what he did to kind of fill in. One guy that we haven't talked a ton about that I just want to bring up real quickly here is uh, Thomas Partey. Oh, stop. Oh. Um, God, what a player. My God. I mean, you have to start talking about him as maybe their most important player for any number of reasons. But I saw Sky Sports posted a stat that kind of, it kind of quantifies that for you. Um, Arsenal's form with and without Partey is clear to see, they say. A 74% win ratio when he plays, which is over the course of 32 games, but that figure drops to just 47% when he's missing, which is over the course of nine games. Um, even the nine games, that, that's a large enough sample size for that for that statistic to mean something. Like that's you see stuff like that, and it's just not it's just not a coincidence. He's that important for them in the middle of the field. Yeah, and I can break it down even further for you. Like so, like I said. Bournemouth are, are they're they're in really tight. This is for the equalizer now. There's there's no space between the width of the the eighteen yard box, and you're looking for any kind of inspiration. Party takes on two men and beats them, Andrew, and that just opens everything up. And then he can play that pass out. Reese Nelson, who we've got to mention, like a goal and an assist in this game. I know. Gives him that little bit of an angle to break lines, get through people. It's so good to have a midfielder who can do that. And Party Party did that in this game. And uh, Reese Nelson hits the cross. And people were saying he overhit it. I think he got it just spot on into Ben White. It skips up. Ben White does brilliant to control it. And uh, it flies into, well, not into the net, but over the line. Because uh, the netto made a save from behind the line. But, um, but that was Party right there. And it was a huge moment in the game. And the Not to mention, he moment. also scored in this game. Yeah. Oh, he did at the back post. Yeah. Tremendous performance. By the way, we should also mention that Billing scored after nine seconds for Bournemouth. Uh, how's it even possible for nine someone to score seconds. that quickly? I mean, and the ball that found him, just like, how did no one get on that for Arsenal? No like, idea. And the delivery for Bournemouth's second goal, the corner, was really good. That's a brilliant header too. Yeah. I mean, when they went 2-0 up, Around what was it, the fifty six, fifty seven? You had to think. Oh, Arsenal. I thought they were going to win that game. Yeah, but that, like I said, that's not that's just not Arsenal this year. They no, don't credit, roll credit over for anyone. That was a brilliant, brilliant comeback. Incredible stuff. So they keep their lead uh, atop the table. It's uh, yeah, still still have that cushion. Can I mention something else that's incredible stuff? Of course, Andrew from. The second podcast this week, this being the first one, from the second podcast this week, you will no longer see our misshapen, square, white guy, pro-evolution soccer 20, 2009 heads 
on your screen when you look up the podcast. When the podcast pops up, you're going to see our new branding, our new caught offside wow. branding. That's going to be introduced in the middle of the next week once you figure out how to do it. But it's happening. Uh, say a prayer. We are rebranded. So if you see this, what is this? I want to see the weird forehead of an Irishman and a, a basic white guy, Angie. Generic whiteness. I mean, when you do look at that, like we are. What are we finding in that picture? What are you talking about? I think I look terrible. I remember the only being, problem with the picture is that it's pixelated. No, I remember that day. I, I the lighting was not soft enough for us. It was yeah, our friend Jeff. Problem. It was our friend Jeff Scope and did it, and there was like a white background, and he had all the. And I'm like, I'm too pale. I'm too pasty, and also I have a head like a bucket. No, nobody needs that amount. I need soft lighting. When I was at, when I first came to New York, there was a a bar I used to go to, uh, where. Like I was, I was a dating machine when I got out here. Unbelievable! It was like milking what, that accent to the core. Oh, what? I, well, you got to work your qualities. You yeah. have to work your qualities. Whatever I could do, it was like date, date, date. And I like to be fair. I never had a. I won't say never, but I can't remember a really atrocious one where I'm like, oh, that wasn't worth. But I, I made sure uh, that we went to this one bar afterwards. It was on. It was in the Lower East Side called the Room. And it was basically just like sofas, soft furnishings, small wee bar, like really, really comfortable. But the lighting was perfect for someone like me. <laughs> it was just like exquisitely good lighting that uh, helped my uh, Casper, the friendly ghost face. How did you come to find that out? Did you, the room. You, you saw a picture of yourself there and you thought, wow, this this works for me. <laughs> no, low light works. It's obvious. <laughs> Don't need to be uh, Albert. That's every I, bar, though. You don't need to be Albert. Well, what Einstein. kind of bar do you walk into with like blinding fluorescent lighting? Some bars are badly lit, Andrew, and they they don't show up the best features, um, or or whatever, or they don't hide whatever features you're trying to uh, trying to hide. I used to go in there. That was that was a great spot. Yeah. Well, there you go, everyone. If you if you're ever with JJ and he suggests the going to room, no, he's we're, he's trying to impress you. And we're going to make out. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, all that is to say that, yes, the new branding, which has been really months in the making, um, but you'll yeah. see it. And I, I think it looks really cool. I'm, I'm excited about it. And then the next step after that, this was only, this is step one. Step two is JJ's dream shirts, hats, scarves, whatever on um, the way. Oh this my is God. the beginning of, of that process. Hopefully of, of a massive corporation, which I would call global core. And we're going to take over the world by people wearing our merchandise. But it's funny, though, because so many people have I've even heard you reference this on on past podcasts about merchandise, even from years ago. I think when you first started talking about this, about people who desperately want our faces on on emblazoned on their shirts. Yeah. But now that this is not our faces. I know. But like at some point, the face can only take you so far. Okay. We needed a professional to come in, and Michael came in, and it was—he's been brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Oh my god, he really patient, has. and he's a like—he's—he's he's worked with huge brands, you know. And if we'd asked Michael, "Hey, Mike, is there a way you can incorporate our heads into cool merchandising?" He would have said no, <laughs> no. Even a man with my skills, I will use all my skills and all my powers. It wouldn't have worked. It just wouldn't have worked. Well, I'm excited for the unveiling. You'll see it hopefully later this week, like JJ said, assuming that I can figure out the technology of it all. Well, please don't end up in a corner of your of your room crying 
That is inevitable. It's what I do afterwards that will decide how this goes. If I rebound and figure it out, then we'll have it. If if I stay there and just kind of break stuff and get angry, then who knows? All bets are off. Now, we'll see. Uh, rebranding my fat head and my dating proclivities aside, we should probably talk about uh, Everton and Nottingham Forest or Nottingham Forest and Everton rather. Uh, sure. I had, yeah, I had a couple other games here that I wanted to get to that being one of them. Uh, oh man, Everton. Oh, the chance to jump out of the bottom three and, uh, Farah scored a great goal. In fairness, Brennan Johnson, Andrew, he is not long for the city ground with this kind of uh, performance, is he? Yeah. Two goals in this one, uh, including the equalizer in the 77th. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness to Everton, they scored the most Sean Dyche goal possible in the world with that kind of the decore goal with all those headers <laughs> long ball knock on knock on goal just classic dice but um but that i you know we've got a lot of everton friends so i really do mean this when i say it i hope they don't look back at that one and think that's that's where we went down because it could be yeah, it's possible. I mean, I guess they were helped a little bit by the fact that Bournemouth wound up losing. Um, so they stayed beneath them. Boy, it's tight, though. I mean, if you look at from from 20th in the table up through, I mean, you could even, I guess, go to Nottingham Forest, uh, on who are on 26 points. It's just five points separating 20th from 14th, um, which really speaks to how big that game was. I mean, you think about it more from the Everton side, but like, let's not forget the, the winning team in that desperately needed that, too. They were in danger of being sucked into this fight as well. They're kind of in it right now. Um, only four points up off of uh, off of Everton currently. So, yeah, a huge result for both teams. It's so it's so incredibly tight. It really is. Um, and and like Southampton winning, so big. Like Southampton beating Leicester, you know, just a huge huge result for them. Um, Leicester without a shot on target. Um, not good, but like, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's super tight down there and it's not impossible for Southampton to dig themselves out of this, um, nor Bournemouth either. And you wonder, is there someone to be sucked in from above? Like, like could far still be sucked in? I, I kind of feel they're going to yeah, be, they, okay. they could. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's only four points, you know, Lester, Lester are only two points off of, 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 18th right now of dropping down. So, mm. um, boy, it's so tight. It's so tight. And, and I look at Bournemouth because you start to, you know, all these teams are going to lose games, obviously. So what what becomes important is how much they lose by in a lot of these games because yeah. goal difference is going to start to mean something. And and you look at Bournemouth right now on that minus 27, and you just think about the nine goals that they conceded against Liverpool and how that's just going to haunt them. Um for for the remainder of the season in that goal difference department. They're not going to be able to make up for that. Uh, so, Can I ask you, um, because we need to discuss this now, um, West Ham pulled out a, a huge result uh, in, in terms of beating Forest 4-0 last week, mm-hmm. and then they go and get hammered 4-0 away at Brighton. Now, we know Brighton are a really good side. We constantly wax lyrical about them on this podcast, but... Like David Moyes looked absolutely crestfallen at the end of that one. I think he's right on the brink right now. I I honestly think patience is is going to be very very thin. 
So if you putting you on the spot, if I asked you right now to to throw out there who another manager is going to get fired before the season is over, who is it most likely to be? Would he be your answer? I mean, yes, but I think there might maybe a bit of reality creeping in for West Ham right now. Who who are you who are you getting in? That's you're the right. Question. I mean, that's the question we ask all the time. Although sometimes I'm weary of of that preventing a team from making a move. Like if it's not going well uh, with a certain manager and the players are just not responding to him anymore, and like you know, do you stick with him solely for that reason, or is it worth kind of just like relying a little bit on the new manager bounce, taking a chance on somebody? I don't know. I don't know that you can just stick with a guy purely out of fear that whoever you bring in next isn't going to be what you want. I mean, you'd have to think that West Ham are, are actively looking for, for replacements now. Because it's just one step forward and then maybe three steps back. Like that, That is a demoralizing defeat to Brighton. So Jesse Marsh didn't want the Southampton job. Or I guess, well, I shouldn't say that. They weren't willing to go to the lengths in terms of, I guess, the number of years on that contract, is right. what would West Ham be a more appealing landing spot? Should should they reach out to him? I mean, that board, that those owners, I don't think, I don't think they'd appoint the the former manager Leeds who was sacked after only winning about five or eight games. Was it eight games across his tenure? I don't think they would. I'm talking about the board. And I think they'd also be very conscious of fan reaction. Um, there was a, I wouldn't say a rapprochement, but a, a certainly a, a cooling of tensions with last season's run to the Europa Conference semifinal, or Europa League semifinal, and a generally good season from West Ham, you know, against um, Sullivan and Brady now, because... Um, gold has, has passed on but um i would still say there's a lot of resentment there and they would not want to stoke the fires by appointing an american and an unsuccessful american at that no disrespect to jesse marsh i'm 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 talking now through the eyes of dave from dagenham dagenham dave if you will um he would not he would not want that uh by the way the other side of this one brighton what a what a team! Um, they they may currently be eighth in the table, but look deeper. I mean, like they're they're seven points back of fourth. They have three games at hand. The yes. schedule. What, what has happened with the scheduling here that 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 could be the case? But again, they have to go and win those games. And presumably, when you have three games at hand, it means at some point your your calendar is going to become insane and hard to manage. And Brighton may not. You know they they have a really good eleven, but they're gonna their depth is gonna be tested when they do that. So you can't just chart up. Oh, well, that's nine points. So let's put them up. Like that doesn't always work that way. But it it goes to it at least shows a, a little bit of a picture of how successful this season has been for them. This is incredible stuff. It really is. Um, look, look throughout the team, just these names now that we know that have just like we wouldn't. The way they've recruited is so good. We wouldn't have really thought about these pairs like. Lamptey Gross, uh, Matomas. I mean, for me, Matomas got to be in the run for player of the year. He's been that good. He's so exciting to watch. Evan Ferguson up front as well. Just his movement and the way he works in the team is, for an 18-year-old, is amazing. Are you fond of him? I hadn't heard that. He is, 
so much of my future international football watching rests on his broad yet immature shoulders is is quite scary. Alexis McAllister as well. He was great, yeah. Oh. Uh Lamptey is stupid man. Just a and there was a lot of jokes made, Andrew, about, oh, Alexis McAllister has to go back to, after winning a World Cup playing with Messi, has to go back now and play alongside Solly March. It's really unfair when anybody who makes that jo- joke has to be slightly bite- biting their tongue because Brightner class. They're absolute class. Yeah. And, By the um, way, we we made some of those jokes. Come on. Did we? We made some of those jokes. I would like to retract those jokes immediately. But um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant from Brighton. And they just continue to be this really, they score great goals too. They play great. They're, they're dare I say it, even better now under Dejerby than they were under Potter. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Before I do, though, I, I want to bring up, um, was this always bound to happen? And by that, I mean, like, if you if you watch the XG charts, like we tend to, <laughs> Yes. And, you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like the, Brighton's inability to finish clear cut chances was it's been a thing for years. Um, but like, was there always going to be some kind of normalizing of that where they finally were going to start converting the chances that you would expect them to be converting and their XG, their wild XG ratios were going to start to kind of normalize to to a level where they're going to start scoring more goals. And is is was this always in the cards for them. Well, getting rid of Neil Mopé seems to have been a real boon to doing that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do remember. And again, but Danny Welbeck was part of that problem. Uh, he sure he, he sure scored was. over the weekend. He did. He did indeed. Um, no, I mean, they had four different scorers. Welbeck, Matoma, uh, Veltman, and uh, McAllister who got them rolling. Yeah, I don't know if 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 that was definitely going to write itself. Like, what, what we... If anything, what we heard about Dejerby when he came in, he was going to be even more attacking, even more open-minded than the the latest, the later version of Brighton under Graham Potter were. Because I was uh, listening to some stats guys talk, and they were saying that the early Brighton under early Potter Brighton were actually quite conservative, as he took, which is natural enough. He was taken over from what was it? Who was it? Chris Hutton, wasn't it? And so he would have had to, he would have had to, you know cut his cloth to suit his measure and a lot of those players would have been used to more conservative styles. But um I I I don't know. I don't know whether it was just oh the goals will flow now. We've just we've suddenly just righted that. Um but they are they're absolutely brilliant. And um and when we talk about recruitment, we should also talk about them bringing in a manager who was roundly criticized because some English pund- pundits hadn't heard of him. Like we need to stop with that now because Dejerby yeah. has been he's been great. Yeah. I would th- maybe a candidate for manager of the season. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. Despite coming in only you know during the season. But him, I think he him, Marco Silva. Yeah, I think that that's that's the race right now. I, I mean know, I guess Arteta Mike Mikel Arteta has to be and Mikel Arteta yeah. Mar- Ar- well, we have to give a short. He's probably it. Arteta Arteta, Dejerby, um Marco Silva, and unfortunately because uh, the last couple of months haven't really gone the way they want what a job Eddie Howe is doing mm-hmm. is not in the running is it a weird day to say that Ten Hag is in that group uh, it's it's the wrong day but he probably is okay All right. well I'll tell you who's not um, while we're talking about Brighton and, and the job Deserby is doing Graham Potter will not be in the running for manager of the season he did no. get a hugely important win uh, for Chelsea over Big Leeds win. 
uh one nil so he, he can breathe a little bit i mean that god that 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 win was so long coming uh yeah yes i mean god uh, he needed this he needed so, this in the worst way oh so badly um, and that that rockets chelsea up to 10th <laughs> uh, yeah so it wasn't necessarily a thing of beauty but they got it done without um Reese James, um, which is important for them. And so, you know, they'll they'll take anything they can get right now. Like I said, these are these are the games leading up to the international break that he's got to start showing some signs of turning this around. Up next, uh the middle of this week, he'll have uh the next chance as Chelsea are gonna look to overturn that Champions League deficit against Borussia Dortmund. Uh, at Stanford Bridge, down just one goal. Um, they should have a shot. And they and again, if you were to point to a performance in the last six weeks where you thought, well, Chelsea actually were very good and could have won that game. It was away at Dortmund. So they'll be hanging their hat that they can put in another performance there. Yeah. Although I wonder how much it matters that uh, maybe um, with this in mind, Borussia Dortmund played their game uh, this past week on Friday to maybe give them an extra day. Um, They beat RB Leipzig 2-1. So They'll have that extra day maybe going into this one. We'll see if that plays any effect at all. Um, who knows? Like you said, everyone's tired this time of year, so may not may not mean quite so much, although maybe that one day means a lot when everyone's tired this time of year. Yeah. Uh, let's see. A couple others, JJ. We, we, I can't hide from this. Uh, what was already a terrible week for Tottenham somehow <laughs> has found even lower depths. Losing at Wolves uh, 1-0. They can't score again. I mean, I guess, I don't know. It, look, in a vacuum, it's hard to get too mad about this because they. I thought they actually played okay, uh, especially in the first half, which is not a thing that they've done this season. They hit the crossbar, they hit the post, they had they had a bunch of chances. Um, they just couldn't convert them. Uh, so yeah, in a vacuum, like okay, you know, yeah, maybe you, on another day you'd say, yeah, going away in the Premier League is tough against anybody. Had some opportunities. Uh, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. But nothing is in a vacuum. Nothing happens in a vacuum. And this has just become so them um, that whatever positive momentum felt like was was going along, it's just come to a complete screeching halt. Um, look, I, I, I try I try hard not to overreact. But I mean, this this trend of of manager selection for them, I'm not saying that they've been wrong at any point in appointing you know, Mourinho, Conte, guys like that. Like, I understand what their thought process was. They thought they were close. They thought they had compiled a squad that was close to winning a trophy, but for whatever reason, Pochettino had shown an inability to grab it, and so they wanted to bring in some kind of serial winner, guys who know how to get good teams across the line. Um, And I think it's now borne out that that's just not them. Like, they, they, whatever, maybe we we thought their squad was better than it actually is. Mm. Whatever the case may be, the DNA of this club, uh, I don't know what it is, but like, I don't, I just, it feels like this is just not going to work. Uh, Conte has not signed his extension. Um, so I don't know. We're, we're probably in the final few months of this thing with him. Uh, it doesn't feel like their grip on fourth place is, is there for the long haul. Um, this is, I don't know what a total reset looks like for this team. Maybe that is just the manager. Maybe it's allowing Kane to go, although I don't think that that helps them. No. Um, 
you know, Sun, although I don't know that that's smart either because I feel like they'd kind of be selling him on a low ebb right now considering he's having a really poor season. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what a total reset looks like for this club in this moment. But my guess is the starting point of it will be the manager will change. And I think that there's just some phil- philosophical changes that have to happen with this club um, because what's gone on under these last two managers, It's there's been moments where it's been good, um, but in terms of trying to find that next level that they thought these guys would be able to bring them to, that ain't happening. And it's shown just virtually no signs of happening. So, yeah, I mean, this is every season, JJ, we kind of joke about it, but there's a moment where Tottenham break me. Uh, this this game was probably that moment. This, this yeah. Wolves coming on the heels of crashing out of the FA Cup. I hope it was worth it for them, by the way. Like, we didn't talk too much about it on the last podcast, but, like, the squad that Tottenham played was pretty arrogant, sitting Kane, uh, sitting Christian Romero, um, sitting Dejan Kulisevsky, like they just benched all these guys for a road FA Cup match in the round of 16, a team that hasn't won a trophy since 2008. Like they, they benched guys at that stage in the competition on the road. Like that's arrogant. That's purely arrogant. Part of it is because they thought they'd be OK, but part of it is because they're gearing up for t- for the top four fight. They w- Qualifying for the Champions League is more important to them than winning an FA Cup. That's just how it is. Well, was it worth it? You sat all those guys, presumably because you want them healthy and fresh for your Premier League run-in. Well, the very next game, you go and lose to Wolves, a relegation candidate. Like, was it worth it, crashing out of the FA Cup so you could go and do that? I don't know. I'm I'm down on this team right now. I am, I am really, really down on this team right now. Um, I, su- I suppose uh, the angle I'm interested in is if you look at the trend of Daniel Levy as the decision maker at Tottenham Hotspur. He's kind of gone two ways in in uh, appointing managers. Maybe three. In the in terms of Nuno, it was whoever they could get and they got Nuno. But generally speaking across the last 20 years, it's been flavor of the month. So you know all the flavor of the month appointments. Like who? Like Juan de Ramos? Something Juan like that. Juan de Ramos, Jack Santini. Guys, Ramos, you... by the way, is the one who got them that trophy. I know. But I anyway. know. <laughs> Magic Juan de was not. Um, yeah. So Juan de Ramos, Jack Santini, um, uh, Andre Villas-Boas, that kind of a thing, right? Younger, highly thought of managers. And then there's the other subset, which has been lately in particular, the experienced guy who's big manager, who's won somewhere else, Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte. Yeah. What faith have you that Daniel Levy can get the right guy in anyway? Or are we just in another kind of flux? My, I mean, right now my faith is, is low. Um, but like having said that, you know, like what, what category of, of manager, like you kind of make it, into those two things, but like, what is, what was Redknapp? What Harry was, Redknapp was that he came in as, well, his stock was high. After he was Portsmouth. kind of, is he sort of one of those flavor of the months? Cause that one worked. It that one did. worked pretty well. And by the way, even, even the product wasn't always a joy to watch, but even AVB was not terrible in time. You, you took some hidings though, towards uh, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Towards the end, it was bad, but like, yeah, I mean, boy, that one Bale season. I mean, you might just people might just look at that and say, "Look, Bale, n- no pun intended, bailed that guy out time and time again." That might be that actually might be true. 
You know, yeah. it's not like he's gone on to have a stellar career anywhere else afterwards. But like, yeah, you have to wonder. Like Pochettino, so- though, what category does he fall into? Was he, he was, flavor uh, of the he, month he, coming he, out of Spain? Well, he, well, I mean, I'm not saying. I, I mean, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. I mean, they, he was signed from Southampton. Don't forget. So, I mean, he'd done great work at Southampton, and so he was a flavor of the month appointment. That happened to work out for Spurs. Um, I don't know where they go next. I, I don't, don't know. know. Like, I, I don't know that this is this is probably another podcast that I just do by myself with like <laughs> with other Tottenham fans and to listen to. Tissues. But like the the whole Daniel Levy out, Enoch out, that whole thing. Um, I'm not quite there the way a lot of Tottenham fans are. Uh, and in terms of my faith in Levy to appoint the right manager, we can sit here and say all we want that this is like that that we have no faith in him. I don't know a single Tottenham fan that was upset about Antonio Conte being appointed manager. By the way, I, it changed quickly. But even when Mourinho was appointed, some people thought that they kicked Pochettino out a little too quickly. But it felt like there was probably public sentiment felt like it was on. Levy's side with bringing in Mourinho at that time, that this would be the guy, this guy knows how to win. Uh, we may not always like how the way it looks, but he knows how to win. So like, I don't know. It, like you could look at it and say the last three managers he's appointed, most people agreed with the appointments and were happy about it. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Who the hell knows? The club, they are what they are. Like it's not going to get like Manchester City are what they are. Newcastle are owned by the, by the Saudis. Manchester United are reemerging as a global threat. Um, Arsenal are are now back on the ebb uh, on their on the the rise. Like it's all pointing in the wrong direction. Like Chelsea, for whatever problems they're having, they they have an owner who is clearly willing to spend obscene amounts of money to make sure that they're good. So like. I don't know who they're going to appoint, but like for Tottenham to succeed in this in this new marketplace, uh, some things are going to have to break right for them. They're going to have to get lucky again, the way they kind of did once before with Harry Kane. So it's not it's not a great it's not a great time for them right now. Um, can we, anyway, uh, can we finish off the podcast with your review of when Saturday? Comes? No, no, no. I, I so I watched it, but I I didn't I don't have my review fully prepared. I mean, if you want, I'll pull up. My, no, my, don't. don't. No. I have a Google Doc that I made with all of my notes. If you want, I'll, I'm happy to read it to you. No, don't do that. Well, let's save it for the next pod. Andrew's okay. review of When uh, Saturday yeah. Comes starring Sean Bean. I, I figured that I was going to let everyone know that I watched it and I took notes on it. Because uh, you always say, oh, I always make recommendations. You never take me up on them. Uh, no, that's only when you recommend books to me. All right, I don't have time to read right now. It is what it is. But movies, you know, I, I don't, I don't shun your documentary ideas, your your suggestions, no, your movie true. suggestions. That's true. Um, and so this took all of one day, basically. You said it to me on the podcast. The next day, I had some time. I was off of work last week, and I, I, I watched it, and uh, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I have a I, lot of thoughts on w- it. W- would you say it's a good movie no. or a bad movie? It's not a good movie, but that. But that also doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it. Does that make sense? Gotcha. It's not a good movie. No. But I but I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, there isn't many really good movies about soccer. Let's be fair. Why is that? Hollywood and general artists don't get football. <laughs> and so they give you a kind of a, their perception of what the game is as opposed to a reality of what the game is what sport breeds the best movies i have an answer to this i'm curious if you agree Mm-mm-mm. baseball probably i don't think so no i think it's boxing oh yeah 
I suppose. I suppose. I suppose boxing is is like that. Boxing can do that. I mean, Raging Bull. Um, every Rocky for the most every, part into yeah, Creed, and, and I mean, people are getting excited about the latest Creed movie as well. So, and I'll, I've always, I've always been a big uh, fan of Cinderella Man. I think it's a highly underrated boxing movie. Really good one. Yeah. Um, and even the boxer Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, and then wasn't what was the one about Mickey Ward? Oh, that was excellent. Is that just that the was, fighter? Um, the fighter. Yeah. That was very good with that Mark Wahlberg, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. I and, mean, so, um, and our our dear friend, our dear Christian friend, Bale, Christian Bale, yeah. Something, yeah. Boxing, just I don't know. Something right. about like the human drama of these guys, of like their backgrounds, just like what it takes. Uh, also, I think it's easier to get a boxer in there and say, "This is how a punch is thrown and how it looks. This is what it's like to receive." This is what it's like to parry a blow. Whereas in soccer, it's so hard to get like yeah. so enough people. Like even even like say shows like Ted Lasso, who have who have done a good a, a decent job of recreating game footage with actors and that. Even they fall way short of the the believability. It's why I found what you're describing right now is why I'm so impressed by the movie Miracle. Because they went and got hockey players, basically, and thought it would essentially be easier to teach them to act than it would be teach actors to play hockey. Right. And it right. worked. Yeah. It worked for them. It was, be- I mean, like the action in that movie is believable. Yes. Um, I love that movie. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point by you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so I'll have, I'll have a review for you. Um, I'll lay my thought. Right now, it's just like a scattering of thoughts. And in the end, that probably is what it'll wind up being anyway. But, um, but yeah, I figured I'd let everyone know. And then you can, so if you guys out there want to watch it, between now it's on youtube for free um so if anybody out there wants to watch it and then i can give you my review um later this week and see if it aligns with what you all thought uh i figured i'd give you give everybody a chance to do that um but fun movie worth watching but not not bringing home any academy awards uh, that that's my initial tease definitely not and it wouldn't be uh it wouldn't be the part that landed sean being many of his most famous roles <laughs> um that's about it i would say uh, actually no i i should real quickly i should mention um there were a couple other things i wanted to mention uh super quick on manchester city beating newcastle any other week by the way that would have been like a really huge matchup um with newcastle looking to try to keep some kind of grip on on top four and man city trying to keep up with arsenal uh in the end newcastle's grip is slipping man city is is at least keeping pace uh, 2-0, they win it. Phil Foden scoring again. I talked about that the other day, how him scoring uh, twice in, in the FA Cup felt like it was important to maybe get his season back on track. And, and he right away goes out and proves that maybe that is what's happening. So props to him. Uh, and City keeping this keeping this a competitive title race, uh, despite the fact that all right now of the, of the spotlight is on Arsenal after the drama of their win. But City are still there. Uh, they're not going to go out without a, without a fight. We know that about them. Um, and then I quickly also wanted to mention just uh, in La Liga, uh, Barcelona winning 1-0 uh, while Real Madrid failed to score. Like I said, 0-0 held by Real Betis. Uh, and it's just looking more and more like that league is going to be Barcelona's. I think that's it's almost, I don't know if it's quite to the level of Napoli certainty, but it's it's pretty much pretty much there. But it's funny, though, because to read from the, the comments from both managers, I mean, obviously, you know, 
you wouldn't expect Carlo Ancelotti to be thrilled with what's going on there. They're having trouble scoring goals. So he's not thrilled, but Javi's not thrilled either. He's talking about Barcelona lacking that killer instinct. Um, they overcame a red card in this one mm. uh, and still managed to win it. Rafinha scored early. Um, and that was in the end, that was all it took, but they are living a little bit dangerously. They're not scoring tons of goals. I don't know. It's just, this is feeling like a weird season in La Liga where, um, you know, Barcelona are going to win this thing, but I don't know how great of a team people think they are. There's all the worry about their financial situation. Javier Tebas saying they're not going to be able to make signings this coming summer. They crash out of the champions league after the group stage and then lose in the, in the round of 32 in the Europa league. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's like a, I don't know what we're going to think of this season. And then Real Madrid, like a disappointment in the league, but here they go in the champions league again. We'll see where that takes them. So it's, I don't know. Those two teams are, are a little bit hard to figure out. I, I want, I ultimately Barcelona are going to win the league, but I still think Real Madrid are one of the top three teams in the world. Um, but I guess the champions League will bear out whether or not that's, that's true. We'll see. Indeed we shall, my friend. Well, I think I'm going to sleep very well tonight. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. You've been grinning all podcasts long. Uh, it's uh, it's quite irritating. It's quite irritating, I must say. It's one of those days. Uh, you, you won't forget this one. No, no, you won't. Uh, history will not either. We have not really seen this before, or I guess some people have. How old would you have to be to consciously have remembered those seven nils that they took back in the, what was it, 31, did you say? Or You'd have to almost be 90. Well, no, older, 92, 93. Mm. <laughs> I mean, even then, I'm pushing it. You're not going to remember much. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. What a day. Where does this go for you in your uh, favorite Liverpool games of all time? Uh, I mean, just in, like, it's right up there. It's right up there. To hammer them like that, to humiliate them like that is right up there. More fun than uh, if this was, like, a 3-2, but... Like if if you had done to them what Arsenal just did to Bournemouth, what, oh, which think, which of those do you prefer? That's a great question. I think, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not like I'm not some I've got I've got some weird kink for humiliation. A three two in in a <laughs> a three two. You make a good point. In a a three two in a really tight close game that matters would be better even than this. But this and, was... and and say the winning goal would have been uh like a replica of like like what Origi did against Everton. I mean that that adds a huge comic factor to it. Uh that I'm not, what I'm could not have, sure. Yeah, what else could have made I'm trying to I'm just trying to think of the formula for to to narrow the gap on your enjoyment of this. Yeah. Or, no. or what if the winning goal was like what happened to Emiliano Martinez against Arsenal a couple weeks ago? I mean that's all right because there's at least there's the the great strike that's there. Don't forget, Van Dyke sliced it onto the crossbar and it hopped on the crossbar twice. I know he walked away in disgust. Yeah, as so Origi it, put it in. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a different level of mad. Yeah. Um, no, this was this was truly mad today, and um, I like I just fun. Like I, I was at the I was at the back of the Monroe. I was watching it on the TV. That's you know, um, it'd be adjoining where you go to the bathrooms. Um, above the pinball machines, very specific here. And when we scored, there's a girl, a Liverpool supporter, in line for the bathroom. And when we scored, all she has is my face coming towards her, punching the air, going yes. Now, that's not the vision you want. Well, she was delighted Liverpool scored as well, and obviously, uh, you know, but you know, nobody wants that on their way to the bathroom. Well, it depends. What was right. the lighting? <laughs> Oh, what a wonderful way to round it off. 
I enjoyed this. It's therapy. And I, and you know, for whatever, I, I guess I, part of me is happy for you when you're this happy. I don't know. I'll, I'll say that and pretend that I'm a good friend. Hey, happiness is fleeting in this world, my friend. And when you get a little piece of it, you hang on to it for you. You don't know when it will just disappear into the ether. We'll have some Champions League thoughts. We'll have when Saturday comes thoughts. And don't get confused when you see that new logo for this podcast. It is still the same caught offside, just rebranded in this new, in this brave new world that we're living in. Yeah. All right. So keep your eyes open for that as well. JJ, I enjoyed this quite a bit. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Up the Reds. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.